0: here as a really small group right now, but we trust that your presence is with us. And as we talk and explore this uh, topic about parenting, uh, five to 12-year-olds, we ask, Lord, for your guidance to be in our discussion and the things that we would share with each other. And that most of all, Lord, we can receive wisdom from you and encouragement uh, through this time that we would have together. Bless our children, bless our calling as parents, and that we can focus on you to fill in the many gaps and failures that we have. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on in. So, as a beginning, a short introduction, maybe just a quick outline. Uh, We sort of got three areas after our introduction to uh, to talk about um, is... uh, we will be predominantly talking about building a strong family identity and uh, attachment with our children. Uh, then we've got into the area of character development and moral training. And if we have time, we'll touch a little bit on skills development. Um, so that's sort of the outline of uh, where we're going. To begin with, as a, an introduction and sort of a, an exhortation, uh, Psalm 127, verse 3 uh, Lo, children are a heritage from the, of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies at the gate. Uh, what I'd like to highlight here is just this aspect of our whole view and philosophy of children. The Bible uh, And God tells us something different about children than what our culture tells us right now. We are immersed in a culture that tells us children um, are expensive. Um, Children get in the way of our adult careers and our plans and our vacations and our financial goals. Um, Children are an inconvenience. Um, Children are not really an asset. They're a liability. Um, The scripture gives us a very different perspective perspective on children. And previous generations also typically had a different perspective on that. And so I think we, just as parents, we need to to be reminded of ourselves of what the scripture tells us about children. We know that Jesus affirmed the preciousness of children um, and so forth. And even his disciples kind of pushed them away. We've got adult stuff to do here. These children get in the way. And Jesus uh, turned that on its head and corrected that thinking by Gathering the children and bringing them into his arms and blessing them. Those are powerful, powerful statements. And so let's keep that in our memory about the the important value uh, of children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Very common passage. Just going to uh, touch on a couple ideas here. Um, Commandments to the children of Israel. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. Uh, Hear, O Israel, and observe to do it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, uh, and so forth. And so just this concept of the priority of uh, training and engaging our children, and these values need to be first in our own hearts to be able to pass them on um, to our children. Also, it is a long-term journey. This is not a short-term thing. We're in for the long haul, and in a sense, we see a twofold purpose in how God ordered the family. One, of course, is to train the next generation. That's sort of the most obvious thing that we tend to be focused on. But sometimes we lose sight on that through this very experience, these are the very mechanisms through which the Lord grows us as parents and as believers in him. And the very frustrations that we have with our children and the challenges um, at times or often are a reflection of also the character development that the Lord is working out in us personally. And uh, we have difficulties and challenges with our children because we are imperfect. And in this imperfect family setting where there is sin and we're struggling with these things is where this is uh, worked out. Um, as an aside, we have some, a couple of resources here that we found helpful that you can check out uh, later on, and we can refer to some of them. But, uh, okay. yeah, go ahead.
1: I'm just going to read a quote uh, along with that about the Lord shaping us and us not being perfect. Um, we all know that no parent is perfect, yet in a healthy home with good parenting, children can develop three essential abilities from good love lessons. So this is then talking about um, we're not perfect, but they can grow from this as well. Uh, The capacity to see oneself clearly, the expertise to deal effectively with a wide range of emotions, and the capability to repair relationships by dealing with conflict and reaching resolution. So um, we're going to touch on some of those things as we go along, but just the idea that, no, we're not perfect and there's a lot the Lord's working in our hearts, but he's going to work through our weaknesses to to help them too.
0: Okay, let's move on to the uh, family identity area.
1: Okay, so... Um, we're actually talking a lot about identity this week uh, our personal identity and uh, corporately as as a fellowship even uh, who are we and so forth well when we're talking about our families our families also need to have an identity and I think in the culture today that's often being lost it's being diluted um, kids get a little bit um, sidetracked in in having other um, orientations as opposed to family orientations. And so it's really important for us to foster a positive family identity. And for some people, for some families, that means a mission statement. They may sit down, um, first mom and dad sit down and then draw their children in with them depending on their ages and say, you know, what is our family about? What are our goals? What's our mission in life? What do we stand for? What are our values? And you could actually draw up a mission statement. Um, Our family talked about doing that a few times. We never really did it, putting it up on a poster board or anything, but they're just sort of things that we talk about regularly and remind ourselves of the things that we stand for, Uh, whether that be, you know, you're gonna love your sibling, you're not gonna speak harshly to them, we're gonna love the people that come into this home, we're gonna treat them with respect, you know, even getting things from the library, you know, don't treat that book that way. That's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We treat it with respect, anything that belongs to somebody else, all those kinds of things, just reinforcing values. And that all becomes part of our family identity, as well as togetherness, doing things together. And that togetherness can be trying to read a story uh, with your ch- children, um, in the evenings uh, or at least a couple of times a week sitting down having a family story time. That becomes a family identity. Our family is reading that story, or later they say, oh, we remember that story because uh, we read that together. Um, loyalty to one another is built through all those times of doing things together um, and, and a sense of belonging, that they always know that you are there for them and they belong to you no matter what. And that always needs to be verbalized with them and, and reminded uh, on a regular basis. Um, there's a quote here that Dan came across that's really good that says, "Peer pressure is only as strong as family identity is weak." A lot of a lot of us have our kids in public schools. Um, even at six years old, peer orientation can start to take over because they're not with you all day. They're with their peers and they're with their teachers. They may start to orient themselves there more strongly than they do with their families. If families are not making a really, really concerted effort, if parents are not making the effort to draw their children in and collect them every evening, close to themselves, and every morning before they go to school, and on weekends when they have them, it's really important to keep them focused to you. You are the compass. You are north. Uh, You're the magnet that they ought to be drawn to. Um, So what are some other ways um, that we can look at building togetherness and, and, and family identity and, and attachment really, that's what it is we want them to attach to us um, that's an easy thing with babies, getting them to attach to you it's really easy to nurture babies you know, you hold them, you cuddle them you get to look at them, you coo at them, you make silly faces as they start getting to the five, six year old stage and beyond you can still get away with that a little bit but uh, each year that passes there's less and less than that and they become more independent so we start letting go of them more and that's not necessarily a bad thing but daily, and often daily, we need to collect them back to us and get their face in our face if we can, and, and get their attention, and get them laughing with us, and talking with us, and we need to listen to them. Uh, one quote that I came across said, stop, listen, and actively love the heart of your child. We have to know our children, and I think this is something that's become really important to me. And... Especially because I homeschool, I see them all the time. I know what's going on in their lives. That does make a difference. But I think for any parent, start recognizing the gifts that God has blessed your children with. And by the time they're five, six years old, those things will start coming out in their personality, in their interests, um, in how they interact with other children, and start building that up and encouraging that. And, And bless them with your words and the ways you encourage them to do that, the way you give them opportunity to do that. Um, And whenever possible, do it with them, if you can. And if not, then just be their cheerleader. Um, And they will then be really drawn to you as well. Um, Meals together are really important. And as we've talked about and heard in a lot of places, meals are not happening together for a lot of families these days. We're too busy. We get too caught up. And I really encourage families to prioritize outside activities don't overdo it with them you need to keep your family in your home when possible or be out there doing things together as a family um, so that that identity stays and meals together are really important and conversation at the table Um, what are a few other thoughts i had here other ways to build attachment or hang on to your kids make sure in the morning when they get up that you're actively saying good morning and getting their face their eyes in yours and and right away connecting with them first thing in the morning uh make sure that you try to keep some kind of bedtime ritual i know for us this has been a little bit of a struggle with a 10 year old almost 11 year old uh, she sees older sisters that just head off you know to bed And even with them we really try hard to always make sure we say a good night and don't let them go off before we've uh, parted properly but uh... Try to keep a bedtime ritual, bedtime story, tucking in, whatever they'll let you do with them, but at least physically that they know that you're there. Um, And with the listening that it talked about, we need to learn not to overreact when they tell us things that are surprising or disappointing or shocking because we want them to have a safe environment to keep sharing with us. That also helps us hold the heart of our children. Um, Okay, and then... And family ministries is another one. Looking for ways that you can minister together as a family also helps build family identity, and they connect with us then. And uh, it just it builds memories in their heart. It teaches them to be a servant along with us, and they're seeing that we're modeling it and doing it with them as opposed to, you know, you really ought to go do that. You know, no, they see us. If we're active in our fellowship, uh, if we're active in our community, And we're taking them alongside us. We are mentoring them. We are discipling them. Uh, There's a a verse that I came across in Scripture, and I'll read the King James, and then I'll read the, the translation that I like a little bit better than that for this verse. Luke 6.40 says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. In other translations, it says, A disciple or a student is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And I think that's our goal, whether we're working on family identity, whether we're working on skills, on moral training, on any of these areas, the whole idea that we recognize our children are disciples and we are teachers. Whether we homeschool or not, we are teachers at various levels. And uh, our goal is to bring our children alongside us, to train them, to teach them, so that they will be fully equipped by the time they are 18 years old to be able to carry on um, with their lives as well. Okay.
0: A word to dads in regards to this area of family identity. Typically, the family identity relational kind of stuff is mom's territory more so naturally, it seems. But that's why, so in that sense, it's all the more important for dads to be actively engaged in this. It's so easy for us as dads to be more actively engaged in our work and other extracurricular activities, church ministry and so forth. Um, and so it speaks so much more powerfully when dad is visibly on board with this family. And this concept I learned from one of the uh, resources that we used a lot, we don't have it here, um, and that was, uh, Growing Kids God's Way by Gary and Anne-Marie Ezzo. Um, oh, they have one of their books here, yeah, that's right. Um, but, uh. And in that series, he has a particular series that's focused on training children, five to twelve, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And um, he has a lecture in there about um, an exhortation to dads and the father's mandate, he calls it. And in there, he he exhorts fathers to be verbalize excitement about the family, and from time to time express that. Two, are, we're driving in the car and say, I'm so glad God put us together as a family. You kids are great kids. I'm glad you have a great mom um, and so forth. And I'm glad that we're together. And when when we verbalize that, that's all the more powerful. It, it, it tells the kids that we're on board.
1: And just along with that, our kids roll their eyes now when they hear that, but they smile too. So I think it's one of those things that, You know, don't stop doing it if your kids kind of go, oh, brother, dad, you know, because it's still having an impact on them.
0: (laughs) Right. And so it's this being present. Um, Anything more? Are there some things over here that you want to Uh, talk about?
1: Okay, yeah. So we can think about, it might be something that you want to think about when you go home after this week, um, as a, you know, whoever... (coughs) wants to think about this with their spouse or, or uh, in whatever circle you're in uh, with children, what, is the char- what are characteristics of your family and what do you want your identity to be and, and sort of go from, okay, where are we right now and where do we want to be, and you've, then you've got an idea of where you want to move to. Uh, you know, you might find that your family is defined by a lot of physical activity and sports. Is that where you want to be? Um, Maybe, but maybe not. Um, What about, you know, into music or into academics? Or, um, you know, maybe your kids are starting already to be drawn to heroes and stars in society. Is that what we want our family identity to be? That we're following, you know, what's going on in society?
0: Or maybe maybe they're seeing seeing that identity about us. And we're really gung-ho about national sports or Athletes, or movie stars Mm -hmm. or whatever in the sense that naturally we develop a family identity around some of those pursuits. And so the reason we're bringing this up is just sort of be a little bit more cognizant and um, purposefully set our family identity Mm -hmm. centered more directly around Christ um, and keep those other things as more peripheral rather than central.
1: Right. Another thing to be careful of is uh, identity facades, Um, split personality families, maybe. Um, We are the perfect family. You know, we come to church, we've got it all together. Our kids all have bows in their hair and look perfect. we don 't yell at them, but nobody heard what just happened in the car before we drove in or whatever right we We know about that facade uh, and then beyond that, people might have no idea what 's going on in our families all week long, um, and maybe all week long we 're totally caught up in other things that are really not beneficial for our family and for our family identity and we need to keep- we need to focus in so that we live what we want to live, what we know is good for us to live, and we say what we mean, and we mean what we say, and our kids don't see that split personality um, so that we have different images. We have a church image, and they know this is how we behave when we go to church, but then when we go to sports, we can you know, behave a totally different way because we're competitive, and, and they're not really going to get the right message then. Um, family identity doesn't... Oh, Sorry. Hang on. We want it. I know, but we want it to record it. others
0: that are listening later on to. Close to, you, yeah.
2: It's tough when you either come from or you know of families that have these split personalities, and then when you hear of down the road that something's happened, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be uh, trauma or something dramatic or someone in the family has left the church. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there's this complete misunderstanding, and it's hard to be transparent after that fact to say, You know, we need prayer support. And it's hard to talk about it, Mm -hmm. even though you know from the facade something's going on. Mm -hmm. But then you feel like, well, people are pointing fingers at me. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't know, maybe just an encouragement that we can be more transparent. So we can ask for prayer support. if your family at the point of where you realize we're struggling, you know, and we need that help. As opposed to after the fact, my family's falling apart. What do I do now?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point, that we do need to be transparent and vulnerable, and that's something that uh, came out in the teen parenting forum this morning, and that I think is important to reiterate. We're not perfect. We need each other. And we hope that, just like Tom and Amy Amy Beth said this morning, that this can open dialogue between other people that are either parenting this age or that work with this age that can help each other. And let's not be afraid to ask for help. We need each other's help all the time. sure
0: are there any uh other thoughts about this before we move on to the next area about character and moral development just this area of family identity um what has been your experience growing up what have you done with your children um opportunity for sharing
3: i feel like you know we might know what our identity for our family is because you live it every day and that's what you live and breathe what are some practical ways, maybe, that you've done or other people have done that, that you kind of uh, deliberately identify that and define what our identity is? You talked about a mission statement. We don't have a mission statement. But, but you know, I've almost, uh, I'd love to hear other people's experience, you know, around the dinner table, what has brought about that conversation, especially with the kids, not just between us, because, you know, we're only 50% of our family. You know, the others are the girls are, are part of that. So how have we practically defined those attributes of what our family wants to be? Yes, yeah,
0: anyone want
3: to share? Okay. Mm-hmm. The girls you know, respond to that even with their friends. So I think passively we do it, but I wonder if anybody has um, done anything more deliberate, like a mission statement, or something, something like that.
1: Yeah, and I think, in large degree, even, even what you're doing is good. Then, because as long as you can somewhat identify in your own lives, you know, as long as your girls are still quite young, you know, they're not going to have a sense of that. But as long as you two realize that, yeah, we are working to instill this, and if that's your goal to instill you know, service and ministry and kindness and respect and all those things in your children and you're looking for opportunities to build that and reinforce it, then you're doing it, Yeah, Willie?
4: We, we didn't do any particular thing like a mission statement or anything like that, but, but the one thing that, uh, that we found was that being really consistent all the time mm-hmm. really creates a lot of that of who, who we actually are It's when we flip-flop back and forth on, on different things and how we look at things and stuff, that confuses them, and they're not really sure what we stand for. But whether it's on, you know, even something as simple as... You know, if you play sports, well, we don't play sports on Sundays or wh- mm-hmm. whatever it is. But there's a consistency, and it doesn't matter whether it's at the really young age, when they're really cute, or when they've become more competitive. And it's a really important thing to them, but it's it, a consistency.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point.
2: We started doing a couple months ago um, when we would drop the girls off at school, and I mentioned this earlier in the school forum. um is that we started when i would drop them off because i'd drive them mm-hmm. um, we would have a prayer before we exited the car mm-hmm. because i wanted them to remember that even if they're having something difficult in school one that we could talk about it and that they can always pray it doesn't have to be something we do before a meal or before they go to bed mm-hmm. that let's ask the lord to bless this day you know for whatever you know if, if glenn was traveling or you know something that we're going through or if I'm having a tough time at work or if they're having a tough time at school or you know whatever it mm-hmm. might be uh, that it's something that they know and that it becomes a practice for them that in the morning before they start their day or go off and you know into that environment that they know that they can pray
1: mm-hmm. um, for us another thing that we found really helped us helped our kids kind of identify with our family and get, get ourselves like a little bit of an identity. One of the things was we, we deliberately chose how to celebrate holidays and certain things, mm-hmm. um, you know, where this is how we do it every year. And this is how, let's say at Christmas, we don't just, you know, celebrate by whatever. We go and reach out to whatever, to poor kids or something that they look forward to every year and they know mm-hmm. this is just how our family does it. And I find celebrating... Things like that really helps. Mm-hmm. That's a really good suggestion. Yep. That's like coming up with your own family traditions. That's another sense of family identity. Yeah.
0: Definitely, the, the development of tradition is a strong component in developing identity. I know something that we did a little. We haven't done it for a number of years. Um, I read in a book. I think it was uh, Gary Smalley, or he presented it in a seminar, something like that. Um, a great way to build family togetherness is to go camping. Well, neither of us are campers, and we've never done it growing up either. And a light went out of my head, okay, we're going to go camping. That's what we're going to do. Um, and we did it a number of years in a row, and the girls loved it, and it was fantastic. Um, we've uh, laxed in asking, that. They've, they've been, been asking, asking again to minutes, do yeah. that. but So there's another great practical example. Um, and what I had learned about this camping experience idea is... Um, that the, in a sense, the, the the more traumatic the experience, the more family bonding takes place. So what uh, the the perfect camping trip is is not necessarily the goal. The goal is to uh, you don't know, purposely set it up that way. But camping is a great environment where these things happen. You know, accidents, catastrophes, whatever. Um, Uh, you you get rained on, get rained out, whatever. Those are the kinds of things when there's some sort of external um, calamity or whatever that the family needs to face together are part of the underlying mechanisms that help build this aspect of identity. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and the year he decided that we would do this, our third was two years old. And I thought, oh no, (laughs) not this year. (laughs) And that was setting up a calamity in itself, taking a two-year-old onto a campsite when we didn't even know what we were doing. Um, it was it was quite an interesting. And we got rained on quite a bit. So, yeah, we had a lot of family bonding. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: We, we found, and, and just because it was kind of our only option when we first moved, I mean, we had never really been to the east coast of Florida. It had always been the west coast. Mm-hmm. And so for the first couple months, if we wanted to get gas, we had to Google where was the gas station. If we wanted to go get groceries where do we go from our locate like where our apartment was and so it was never like one would go when we were in windsor you know you grow up you know the streets you just mm-hmm. kind of i need to go to the grocery store i'm just going to run out for a couple of minutes it was okay family trip everybody in the car and it didn't matter if it was groceries if it was shopping if it was you know whatever it was always a family trip and it just kind of that turned into our family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Whereas it wasn't that before we moved. Mm-hmm. And, and not because we, we, I mean, now we could probably do it, um, you know, where I could go out and do grocery shopping. or But it, it became a family mm-hmm. occasion mm-hmm. Um, for us all to go, kind of just out of coincidence of, we just didn't know where we were going or what we were doing. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of worked out for the good, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, your family identity and, and some of those dynamics will change. Uh, by nature of where you're living, what you're doing, um, what stage your children are at, all those kinds of things, right? I mean, our fi- family dynamic is, and sense of family identity is, you know, at this point we have to work a little harder at it because we only have one in this middle stage and the other two are teens and one has a job and, you know, they're traveling a lot more. Um, you know, we're, we're on the cusp of a couple of new ministries in our family, which is going to change what used to be our family identity into a new you know, an evolution in a sense, right? Um, and we have to roll with that because that's all part of the Lord's working. It's like, okay, you've been faithful in where I've taken your family thus far. Let's keep going. And and we need to work with the Lord in that.
0: Yeah, I think one final point uh, in this area of family identity, and then we'll, then we'll move on, is uh, what helps develop identity is to... Have a purpose that extends beyond ourselves. Have a purpose as a family that extends beyond our own comfort, beyond our own survival. Um, Because if that's all that we do, then we, in a sense, are discipling selfishness and self-sufficiency somewhat. Um, And so to have a family ministry, what's appropriate for your family, be praying about that and engage that way. Maybe it's not something that the whole family always can do together, but uh, maybe one parent can do with a, a group of children or something of that nature, I think is another component. But let's move on uh, to this area of character development and moral training. And so, uh, besides building family identity, which is somewhat more subtle and kind of uh, underground, um, this area of character development and moral training is always on the forefront and a constant. Uh, Daily, daily activity. Let's be aware of our own character strengths and weaknesses and areas of growth. Typically, these will become flashpoints of how our children respond to us and how we become provoked to respond to our children. And this is all part of that mechanism of God working to grow in us. Um, And along with that is being transparent with our children. They know our weaknesses, they will get to know them, and that's how they know what buttons to push. And, and exploit them. <laughs>
1: and in this age, they will begin
0: to do the, Yeah, they'll discover those kinds of things. Oh, Mom, Mom has a great reaction when I do this. <laughs> uh, or, or dad. <laughs> or dad. Um, as well as, this is a real sense of responsibility that God has placed upon us, right? We know the story, the sad story of Eli, the priest in the Old Testament, and how God held him responsible for how uh, for how he failed to train and how he failed to, to discipline his son, his sons, and there's numerous exhortations, uh, particularly in the Proverbs, um, about this whole aspect of discipline and training, and I'm just going to read one of them, correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest, yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul, when we're in the middle of it, this area of character and moral development, um, we don't see the fruit right away, um, There are steps of fruit, of course, we see some of that result, but it's a long-term a a long-term thing. The area to be focused on is training. We typically the easier one is to fall into a pattern of reactionary behavior after the fact. We wait until the unacceptable behavior develops and then we pounce on it. Those happen anyway, and so there is a measure of that correction after the fact, but being more purposeful up front with training with the vision of training our children from being totally selfish and self-centered to being like Christ is a long, lifelong journey, and we're on that journey as well. We are hopefully miles ahead of our children and bringing them along with us, Um, and uh, so that's the... When we are more upfront with our training, then there's a lot less reactionary um, correction or chastisement. That's the goal. The means through which this happens is through our strong relationship and the attachment kinds of things happen. Why do our children respect us and respond to us? Um, Because they're attached to us. Yes, we have control and they're in our house, but the emotional means and the emotional bonding is the strength through which... This happens, and uh, that's the means, as opposed to just merely intellectual knowledge um, and drilling it into their heads. Um, we can kind of feel uh, that difference. Um, the stronger and the closer and the more trusting the relationship is, the more likely it is that they will embrace our values. There's a direct connection uh, between those two things. We want to reach their hearts, not just have their behavior be compliant. We want to train to high standards. God's word is a very high standard. Um, the means that we reach that standard is surrounded in an environment of grace. And it's hard to sometimes think of it in those terms with parenting. And grace does not mean um, permissive parenting. And, and so there's a sometimes sort of a tension of how that, um, that develops and, and uh uh, unfolds. Well, I think we'll talk a little bit more about grace near the end of this too, but mm-hmm. is this the environment of grace particularly happens as because they're developing, um, they're not going to do it right the first time, and how we respond to that the second and the third and the seventh time is always in an environment um, of grace. Can I just add yeah, something go ahead.
1: too? And if we are seeing that there's a consistent area that there's a struggle in, we need to start really looking at what's the heart behind it? What's the issue behind it? Um, And there may be a break in attachment between us and our child for some reason. If we're seeing a lot of um, if we're seeing consistent um, rebellion or defiance um, we need to collect our child back to us. Discipline may not be nearly as effective as sitting down with them and drawing them close to ourselves in some way and reaffirming that bond that we have with them and getting them on side
0: am going to describe the difference between discipline and punishment our focus is on discipline not on punishment being punitive and i heard a great explanation of this this is another resource i can recommend um, his name is chip ingram i learned from him through margaret densinger um, who's done a lot of research uh, in this area as well and so i just recently listened through some of his seminars um, downloaded And he described that really well. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He took upon himself the punishment for our sins and for our children's sins. Therefore, when they do sin and misbehave, we don't need to punish them to pay for their sins. The The purpose of correction is to train them with the eye towards the future. And so that they don't repeat that, um, this aspect. So discipline is and training is with the eye towards the future. And how do we get beyond this so that we grow beyond this? Um, the punishment aspect is um, more of a focus on um, anger, and you need to pay, you need to feel because you done you did something wrong. Um, that idea, when I heard that was somewhat revolutionary. Somewhat revolutionary. I just never heard it expressed that way before. But it made a lot of sense. Um, It made a lot of sense to me. Uh, Something that we learned from the Growing Kids God's Way is moving from restraint towards freedom. Um, When our children are small, there is the most restraints. We are in control of everything. But there's a constant, gradual progression from restraint towards freedom. They gain more self-control, we give them more freedom, more choices, more responsibility, and in a sense, they use the image of the funnel in the sense that as they grow, life becomes wider and bigger for them. And in a sense, that's the ideal progression that should happen. Um, If... Our focus is child-centered the tendency sometimes can be reversed where when they're young they're given so much free rein, they can run around they can do whatever they like and as we see as they get older that behavior isn't cute anymore now we need to start reining them in well that's kind of backwards they're just used to all this freedom now all of a sudden parents are reining me in why why are they doing this i could always get away with whatever i wanted before it's easier even as adults when we move from that from we're used to being restrained and Little steps towards more and more freedom is a much easier progression than the other way around. And,
1: and this is another area where if we start seeing issues with disobedience, with running off, with um, things like that, we, need, we may need to look back at this area and think in our minds, have we maybe slacked off in this and allowed them too much freedom in some areas rather than giving it to them gradually? And we just sort of overlooked it and didn't bother with it and now we're starting to have problems we had i can give you one example um with our youngest a couple of years ago when she was maybe seven something like that seven eight um in church we usually always have had boundaries for our kids you may not go outside after services unless you come and ask me for permission and even then you're not going to run around you know we had boundaries and guidelines and generally they followed them but then even within the church, it was like, you know, you don't run. Why not? Well, because I might knock somebody over. Right, so don't run. You know, all those kinds of things we would go over. But then she started getting to the point where she would just wander off from us. And, yeah, she was seven. We didn't really think of it. It's, you know, it's okay. But then it would get to the point where we couldn't find her. And we'd be the last ones there and hiking all over the place looking. where. And then she'd be in this little cubby somewhere. And we were like, you know what, you, you forgot that you need to tell us where you're going to go or who you're going to be with so that we can find you because that was a rule too and it was like oh yeah, yeah yeah, okay and then the next sunday would happen again and we started seeing this pattern and we said you know what sweetheart i'm sorry but you've been abusing the privilege that we gave you so now it's time to rein it back in again and then for a period of a month or two it was you may not be anywhere but at mommy's side or daddy's side when we're visiting and I know that's not as fun as being with your friends, but that's just the way it's going to be to remind you and to help you learn that you've got to rein it in. And that helped immensely. After that time, then it was re-ingrained in her mind that, okay, now we're giving you freedom, but you, what do you need to do first? I need to come tell you where I'm going to be. Right. You know. Um, now she's a little older. That's not as necessary anymore. But anyways, go ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes in situations like this, um, we might be observing... Uh, concerns in other people's children or other people, other parents will see that in our children sooner than we will um, in us, in our in our own. And that, that raises sometimes a flashpoint um, in ourselves. And so this is sort of a question for reflection on ourselves. You know, do we resist comments or correction from other parents when they're pointing out concerns in our children? And if we display an attitude of unwilling or it's difficult for us to receive correction what do we think we're projecting onto our children? Even though maybe they don't see that particular encounter when um, our children had something done questionably and other parents are asking us about that. And yes, we, in a sense, we're our children's advocate and we defend them, but at the same time, let's help each other as parents and therefore receive correction rather than blasting another parent don't you dare attack my child or tell me my child is bad because I have a good child and they never do anything wrong. Um, they don't see that encounter probably, but that attitude flows through in other areas of our life and then they're probably going to reflect the same kind of thing when we're trying to correct them, this unwillingness to receive correction. Um, I know we're not nearly uh, done here, but probably we should talk a little, or just open for some ideas, unless there's something burning here that you want to share.
1: Well, I will just breeze through a couple of the other things, and then we can do yeah. discussion. Just, just, these are just thoughts that came to our mind as we were brainstorming about some of the things that we, fe- we have found to be important in our family and, and, and raising children. Um, the idea that I already said say what you mean, mean what you say, only give a command that you can or will enforce. Uh, and be ready to do it, but give them space and time to obey, too. Um, that, that's the same with any instructions you give. You know, don't, don't say, oh, it's supper time. Come on, come to the table. Meanwhile, they were in the middle of something. Well, we would like the courtesy of having maybe a heads-up and a bit of a notice, right? So just show respect to your kids, too, and say, in five minutes, it's time for dinner. Could you please start wrapping up what you're doing, and then I'll let you know when it's time to come to the table, and they're a lot more willing to do that then. Uh, practical training exercises Um, the one that we did with especially our first two and our third one needed it a little bit but we didn't do it enough unfortunately we're not perfect Um, sitting still (laughs) and what we made them do is sit at the table after their meal quietly for as many minutes as they were old so if they were five years old they had to sit at the table for five minutes after they were finished their meal just quietly Um, I think they could participate in conversation if that was going on, but if there was, you know, if me and Dan were talking, they just had to sit quietly and listen because that was part of their training for being able to sit in church and in other places respectfully, nicely, whatever. Um, And that ended somewhere when they were around eight years old or something like that. Um, And this is also the stage where we believed it was necessary to phase out physical discipline. Uh, We did practice, not a lot, but some physical discipline when they were under five. But by the time they were five, we we've really felt that by then the foundation had been laid enough that that should not be the focus anymore. It should be working with them, talking with them, gaining their heart, uh, guiding them, discipling them, leading them um, like a shepherd leads his sheep, you know, that kind of thing. A shepherd does not beat his sheep. He leads them uh, with love, and that's what we ought to do. That's, that was our conviction. Um, right. Um, yeah, I think we can go on and open to questions if you'd like to or comments. anybody want
0: to share in regards to this aspect of character t- development, moral training, um, discipline issues, there's always you know lots of things to uh, to share there. Maybe or questions to ask. Experiences of where you're at with your children, and
1: uh, if not, we do have a couple of other things. Really? We'll yeah. <laughs> really? A few other notes here. We're
4: we're, we're not necessarily an example of um, well, we're definitely not example of a of a perfect family by any means, uh, um, and we had we had a lot of issues with uh, with our older uh, older son and getting involved in drugs and and everything else and uh, um, and moving out of the house to moving back in. He's been back in for a while. But one thing I can really do is encourage other parents that the teaching that you do when they're younger, it it, it really, I mean, we hear it a lot of times, but it really never does leave them. It's even when they have a personality that takes them completely in a... Wrong direction and you wonder where that ever came from Mm -hmm. Uh, but I can testify that seeing in in my older son now that it's it's amazing how many times you see the teachings that they had when they were younger uh, that they that it comes out and and that they even talk it it, it express Mm -hmm. it verbally just the other day Drew came home from work and and, uh, and he was talking about how his one foreman had met me and uh, and uh, and really liked working with me or something and then um, they got talking something about church or something and and and, uh, and the guy says Oh boy! Uh, now I'm not sure exactly how I even talked to your dad because uh, he, him being a Christian and stuff. And meanwhile, my son Drew went on the defense of uh, of saying what you think because he's a Christian. You can't deal with him in the same kind of way. And and they got into a whole religious discussion. And he relayed that all back to us. And and I'm like. You know, you even think about any of that stuff anymore, you know, and stuff. But it, it, it they, they don't forget it. And it's still part of them. And uh, God is still working in their lives at all times.
2: Something that happened to us as recently as yesterday at, uh, I want to say it was maybe breakfast, um to not talk negatively about your kids, and not necessarily negatively, but just like comments on their behaviors or things that they tend to do. Um, our youngest has a good appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like a, this common thing, and, and we joke about it like it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And she overheard yep. with us with another table, and I looked over at her and I said, sweetie, aren't you gonna eat your oranges? And she just kind of shook her head And I said, well, sweetie, it's okay. Those are, the fruits and vegetables, those are good foods. You know, you can eat those as much as you want. But it it made me realize, you know, we think it's joking. And we think, you know, and it's not even really negative. But she took that as almost like a personal attack to her. And I mean, she's four. Right. And I thought, wow, like, she's getting this. And Mm -hmm. we need to be very careful and cognizant of that.
1: You're right. And we went through that with one of ours. Um, Our middle child is very sensitive. And she has learned. And that, that's something else I should maybe mention. This is the time, the years, where you can work on those strengths and weaknesses that we see emerging. Because we might think they're weaknesses, but they are strengths that the Lord can use. And their strengths can also be their weakness. Right? So we just need to help, pray for wisdom that the Lord can help us guide those characteristics that we see. Her sensitivity now, we can see that I mean, she can reach out to anybody without even realizing it. She doesn't even have to try. She just is so loving. But when she was young like that, if you would say, oh, that's so cute, she would be like, oh, defensive and crying, and I don't want to be cute, and little things like that, and we just didn't get it. But, you know, other ways now that's grown, you know, whereas our firstborn is very strong-willed. Well, that can be a positive thing, but it can be a very difficult thing to deal with, too, You know, and we need to guide that. Actually, one other thing I um, saw here in our notes that we didn't touch on that I really quickly want to is this is also the time when we can really start working on critical thinking skills in our children. And that's not something that often comes up in circles to talk about critical thinking with kids. But it's something that we've really worked on with our kids. And um, they need to be able to recognize fallacies, subtleties, untruths around them in the world. And we can start in simple ways to instill that in them now. And one way that we really found good is just by finding really good um, stories to read to them, um, biographies of of heroes of faith, things like that, and helping them, giving them examples that they can relate to and learn from and and asking them a lot of questions and, and helping them to give their input about it, too, and then it makes them start thinking as opposed to just having everything spoon-fed to them.
0: A couple other uh, points here. Um, Rather than treating discipline as an inconvenient interruption to your task at hand, see it instead as one of your most important tasks of the day. See it as an opportunity uh, for training. And so often it's, and and this is a struggle that I have, I'm busy doing uh, projects, I'm on the computer, I'm uh, fixing something in the home or whatever, and a a child's misbehavior, or I see it as an interruption. It's not even always misbehavior, they're calling for attention. Um, And recognize this always needs this correction of my priorities that right now in this season of life, Parenting is the main task, not cutting the grass, not checking email, not uh, fixing whatever. Um, those are the, parenting is the main task, and yes, those things need to be done eventually, but uh, let's keep that um, as the priority. And, that, and
1: that's where skills training comes in. You get your kids to mow the grass.
0: Well, now they're, now they're old enough they can do that, so that's helpful, yes. Um, and the other part is, discern if this negative behavior is actually maybe the child's effort to try to get our attention. And sometimes negative attention is better than no attention at all, and their attention starved at some point, and they just want to spend time with Daddy, and the other means of getting Daddy's attention haven't worked, and this one pushing this button or whatever does work, and unfortunately it's the negative behavior. And if we just sort of be aware of that, and maybe what they need is you just sort of stop what you're doing, And spend time with your little one, or throw a ball out, or whatever the case may be. Go for a bike ride, whatever. Um, Can already circumvent a lot of these kinds of uh, discipline issues. Again, want to emphasize this environment of grace, which means basically respecting our children um, and avoiding what, I know this is a strong word, you know, verbal abuse. But sometimes we... We're very strong with not um, abusing our children physically, but this area of verbal abuse is very subtle sometimes, and just speaking negatively about them, harping on them, um, bringing up past um, misdeeds, uh, making them feel put down in, in our language and in our tone of voice. Um, those, those are not at all helpful. These are reactionary things that come out of our own character flaws that the Lord needs to work on us, Forgive past deeds and don't bring them up again. This is all part of this environment of grace, training them to the high standard. Um, But they're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, And we're bringing them along. Any questions or comments about that or experiences? We're going to close in three minutes. Um, The third area that we are not going to talk much about but just throw out there is the area of skills development. Um, Sometimes we don't see this so much as a distinct category, just like we don't think so much about building family identity as a distinct category. Usually our parenting envelope is this whole area of training and discipline. Um, But skills development is another area, and recognize that the Lord has created them, and they're going to be developing skills, gifts, talents, and let's not try to force something on them that they can't do. If they're very artistic, allow the Lord to develop that. And your kids... Our kids will be better at something better than we are. Let's not take that as a threat or feel bad about that. And somehow we got to be better than our children because we're the parent. Encourage that and express that to them that the Lord has given them that gift for a purpose, not for themselves, but to build others up and to give glory to God. Um, and the whole area of skills development is sort of a different treatment. I don't know if there's anything in particular you want to say about that.
1: Yeah, and just bringing your child alongside you when you can for certain skills. You know, um, if it's a son, which we have no experience with, but in that case, you know, often the, the dad will need to make time to bring him alongside him and train him about handiwork things. Let him help you fix something around the house or uh, figure something out at the computer or whatever. Um, if we have daughters dad can do some of those things. He does that a lot. When it's techie stuff, he sits down with the girls and helps them with that and they're learning from him. Whereas uh, when it comes to kitchen, we have a chore schedule. Each of the girls has a turn twice a week uh, in the kitchen. They're my helper. And the older they get, the more I throw at them and expect them to do because I'll show them and then after that, they need to help doing that. Um, you know, and if they're younger, obviously less is expected, but yet they are there with me and learning and doing what they can so that eventually they will be able to do it on their own. Um, Rather than waiting till they're 18 or 20 or, you know, I remember hearing of a story once, a 20-year-old that was engaged, uh, was a young sister in our church, and she got a gift at her wedding shower and she looked at it and said, oh, thank you. And she looked at her mom and said, what do we do with this? And I thought, oh, okay. We gotta make sure my kids know everything in the kitchen. I don't want that happening to my child. Maybe that's silly. But I really do think that they should be f- as equipped as possible by the time they're adults. <laughs> so We have some resources here. If anybody wants to take a quick look at them, I don't want to hold up Rob's form too much. But um, we're going to take these books with us. And if anybody wants to talk to us later or have the names of any of these books, feel free yeah, to approach I mean, us.
0: Encourage uh, one another to network as parents, talk to others that have gone before us, um, as well as plug into uh, good resources that we have found um, really helpful. So. The Lord bless you. Have a good day.